Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Dadsnet original podcast. A Dadsnet original podcast. I'm Al, that's JK, and this is JK and Al, and we've come back. We're back with another. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> We're back with another. It's interview. the remix. You can actually download that on Instagram. It's an original remix. There's you can a, use it if you want. There's a guy in Dadsnet who, on occasion, has taken some of the things that I've posted on my Instagram and turned them into gifts. <laughs> One of the so I imagine he'll do the same with that, but one of them was me, me fairly inebriated, no dancing with a with a with a party hat on the front of my forehead. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, like belt undone, top off, sexy, like, dancing. <laughs> anyway, so maybe he'll remix that for us and there put it go. out there. It's a remix. Um, we're joined today um, by an incredible guy, a, a legendary, a legend in the in the comedy um, arena. I always say the word legend. You shouldn't use. You know that often. I know, because, but but we have had some absolute legends I on know, this podcast. I know, and um, and this guy, he's not just uh, you know started his career in comedy, but actually he's now um, an incredible author of children's literature. Uh, which, as a primary school teacher, I can vouch these are the kind of books that you should be putting in your children's hands. Yep. Um, and he's going to share a bit, a bit more about that um, as we talk to him. Um, well, so let's just get on with it. Uh, are we ready to chat to David Baddiel? David Baddiel, man. Do you remember the England song? I'm sure we'll talk about that. I love this highly acclaimed British comedian, novelist, television presenter, and the list actually goes on. Uh, welcome, yeah. David Baddiel. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Don't read the whole list. Uh, I do too much. Well, I end up saying goodbye at the end of the introduction. So, but lovely to be here on Dadnet, which... Uh, you know, I didn't actually know there was anything else but Mum's Net. But as a dad, I'm very pleased about the existence of Dad's Net. It does, and we'll be we'll be on it all the time. Now. <laughs> Make, making those controversial posts, I'll be making controversial remarks <laughs> and boosting the profile of Dad's Net across the internet. <laughs> well, thank you in advance. Yeah, um, David, let's let's just get started by talking about your new book, um, Only Children, because that's that's really what why you're here to talk about that. So let's dive in with that. Um, but you've 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 this has come after a long line of other books, right? Children's books, yeah. I mean, I've well, a long line of other books because I write um, adult books as well. Um, I did write adult fiction, but now I mainly write non-fiction for adults. Uh, but I've written nine, I think, children's books. Wow. Uh, as you know, Jews don't count, so I'm not absolutely sure <laughs> whether there is none, but I think it's nine. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, this is a collection of short stories, which I've never done before. Yeah. And actually, um, one of the things I like about this book is just that, because I like short stories as a form, 
Uh, it's much more common in America uh, that people write short stories and publish short stories than here. And it's quite rare, I think, that you get them for children. Um, so this is a collection just of three quite long short stories, all 10,000 words each. Um, and um, so it's slightly different from the other books that I've written for children. But, I mean, just to sort of bring it into a dad's net focus, it's un undeniably the case that one reason I write children's books is that I am a dad. In fact, I, I owe the whole career to my son, that, that part of my career, uh, because my son Ezra, who is now 18 and a hulking great bloke, but when he was a sweet eight-year-old, he said to me, Dad, why doesn't Harry Potter run away from the Dursleys? and go and find some better parents. And um, I, I was always slightly bothered by the fact that my son was asking me a question about how to find better parents, but forget about that, because it gave me the idea for my first children's book, which is The Parent Agency, about a world in which children can choose their own parents. And, you know, I, I, I never really... I think some people, some of the cynics out there think, oh, people, you know, comedians who write children's books just have seen a gap in the market that David Williams created and, and, and went for it. but. In all honesty, that wasn't the case. I, I thought that was a great idea for a kid's book. Mm -hmm. And once I have an idea for a, a story, I, I want to tell it. Uh, and then that book did really well. And I'm actually now writing a musical of it. Wow. Um, not, I'm not writing the music, thank heavens. Dan Gillespie Sells, who uh, wrote Everyone's Talking About Jamie, is writing the music. Uh, so, But, I mean, my point, I guess, is that, that being a dad put me in that position because I was having a chat with my son about stories, you know. And, and I, I was always reading and telling my kids stories and to some extent making up stories yeah. and then then i thought might as well monetize this <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah get some, something good out of it yeah exactly yeah i i like the, the idea of short stories and i tell you you know um so you're talking to an ex-primary school teacher as well so okay. i have read hundreds of children's books to the class and, yeah. and seen them and whatever else and and I always find that uh, there's so many children that will start a book with the best intentions and they'll mm. just kind of wane as it, as it goes on. Yeah. And right. the idea of a short story, especially for more reluctant readers, is that success yeah. of completing a story. Yeah. And some of them are just too long. And you're right, we don't have enough short stories in, in, in yeah, the, the really library. That's a really good point. Um, Partly, I think, because children are expected, aren't they, to go from picture books, which are very short normally, mm -hmm. and all pictures and very few words, to reading middle grade books, which is what I write, which are basically, you know, proper novels mm. uh, with a few with fewer pictures but a lot of words, and that that leap can be quite difficult, especially as far as I understand it for boys. Yeah, <clears throat> boys are more reluctant readers, and so one of the things I'm quite proud of with my books is that I get written to a lot by parents. Uh, I mean, this, this is all the books, not not just the short story one that's not come out yet. Uh, so that wouldn't make any sense. Anyway, <laughs> they write to me and say that they're pleased because their son normally is one who doesn't read or hadn't read and then has started reading because of my books. And actually, if, if I had to put um, a, a reason for that up front, I think it's to do with the fact that there's a lot of comedy in my yeah. books. Um, and, and I was never... You know, one of the things about children now, I believe, is that children are much funnier than they used to be. They have a much better sense of humour than they used to be. Because when I was growing up, and I am older than both of you, uh, there was nothing for children like on the telly. There was the magic roundabout, uh, and there was that was it. And the magic roundabout was not funny. Um, no. And now my kids have grown up watching, you know, The Simpsons and Amazing World of Gumball and Pixar films and all sorts of brilliant, brilliant comedy. Comedy that I don't think is 
comedy for children. It's just comedy, right? And um, so when I write the books, I always, I never try to speak down to children. I always try to make them as funny as anything else, just with less sex and swearing than I normally do. And um, and as a result, I think uh, you know, children, particularly boys, have responded to that, and and it makes it, you know. It just makes it easier, I think. If you're going to read a whole book, if you're going to be laughing, yeah. then it's a much more attractive proposition. Yeah, completely. I, I wonder as well how many. Um, obviously, the you know the the children's author in you was inspired by being dad, uh, and the yeah. idea you know came from those conversations you had with your son. How much of your those i mean parenting is riddled with happenings that happen all the time like these crazy moments and these ridiculous conversations that we end up having how much of that ends up being in the books in some way shape or form um that's a good question i I mean actually i would say more of that ends up or has ended up in in stand-up um I, i tell a lot of stories about my children in stand up like very early on, I told this story. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them all now, but uh, this is a very parental experience. But it is it is specific to me, uh, which is that. So when I when Dolly, my daughter, was about three or four, she started to get a little confused as perhaps kids can because she'd always call me Daddy. And then she realised that some people were calling me David, and that sort of confused her. And she she briefly started calling me David, not because I not because we were bohemian parents who wanted to call, <laughs> but because she heard that. And, and then she was just a bit confused. And then one time I was uh, I was out walking in the park, and she needed to go to the toilet. And if you're both parents, you'll know about that. It's like she was still of the age when I was taking her. She was about three into the men's toilet, uh, and it was a very crowded men's toilet. <laughs> I took her into a cubicle uh, and I literally just sort of pulled her pants down sitting on the toilet and she went, David Badil. <laughs> that sounds really, really odd. <laughs> there's, there's men out there thinking, what's, what's going on? He's not her father. What's going on? So, and I remember telling that story and, and that was one of many, many stories that I've now told about how my children embarrass me. Le- now, later on, my son, trolls me like all the time it's a massive <laughs> i tell a story about him yeah i mean one of i mean there's thousands of stories i could tell about him well i'll tell a quick one rather yeah. than it's got a lengthy one about him <laughs> never mind uh about so for example when ezra um he doesn't now he's, he's lost it now but he was massively into Fortnite, and in a uh, i was trying to like join in a bit in a, in a concerned dad way and I said, oh, I'll play with you because you can link up the computers. I'll play Fortnite with you. And I could tell he thought, oh, I don't know about that. But he, he, he went along with it. Uh, and so we were on two separate computers on headphones and whatever. And, you know, parachute down like you do in Fortnite. You know, well, you know Fortnite, you parachute down your avatar and you fight off people and whatever. And I parachute down and he just says to me, right, Dad, run, right? So I run, my guy, and I think, like, what's going on? This stuff, yeah. And I'm pressing and pressing. He goes, run, keep running, Dad. Like, I'm running, I'm running. And he just ran me off a cliff. And I died. And then he said, never ask to play with me again. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so, so it's more found its way into stand-up. Because I would say in the books, and I don't know whether this is true for you, but I, I think it's true, is that I, I feel that, I don't know if men are more this than women, but I don't know. Uh, I think all adults are children, really. That we're all winging adulthood. That a heart, I feel, about 12 
that there's only one person in the whole of society, whole of humanity, who is the age he appears, and that that person's name is Michael Gove, and 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 everyone else is at heart feels about between about ten and fourteen or whatever, and um, so the kid in my book is really just me. It's like there's always a central kid, and it's really just me. But um, having said that, I still think that that has been refined and my sense of that, of the boy inside myself has very much been refined and more understood by having children. Um, the way I relate to my kids, which I guess is different, like not that different, but different from the generation before is because I, I see myself as basically still a kid, you know, like your parents were, were more <coughs> adult figures, I think in the old days, yeah. they, were, they were adults. They were more step. Whereas now I feel like we're sort of all children mucking in together. I agree. Quickly going back to to the books. Now, I think as as dads, yeah, we've we've all read books and we've all looked at them, like whether they're short, long, whatever. And we've gone, I think I think I could write a book. I mean, this this can't be that hard, you know. Billy and Joe went to the market and they sold the cow. At the <laughs> end. We we all think we can write a book. I think deep down, it can't be right. that hard. But David, is it yeah. is it hard? It is quite hard. I mean, I mean. I, I, I don't want to, you know, if anyone listening has got their deep desire to write a book and, like, you know, it doesn't want to be put off from that. I, I, and people do come to me, actually, and say, what are your tips for writing a book? And my main tip is just try and do it. And even if you think it's rubbish, just keep going because something might emerge through the mist of whatever you're writing down. But it isn't that easy. Um, no. Uh, the way I write them uh, always is I rely on which I really worry will just run aground at some point, having a big idea. That's what I particularly have for the children's books. The children's books, because they're very story-driven, uh, and children's books are in general, you know, they're much less about whatever style and abstract thought. They're about plot, about story, and I really love story. I tend to have a big idea, you know, whether it be a world in which children can... Uh, but can find their own parents or say in head kid, it's a body swap between the naughtiest kid in the school and a very strict new head teacher. Um, these ideas just are enough to get me going. Uh, and then I just write based on the idea. And then there does come a time normally about a third of the way. In where they, oh no, I have to structure this a bit. And I, have to think, I can't just keep going on the energy of the idea. And that moment can be quite difficult, you know, uh, and you do have to have uh, stamina and you do have to have a, mind that is happy to sort of like sit and structure and all the rest of it having said that it's much much better than most jobs mm. <laughs> uh, so what i'm not going to do is sit and say yeah yeah the tough you know the, the awfulness of the blank page or whatever no it's much much better than working for amazon is it as well like um, <laughs> you, you, you know in love actually when that the guy goes to write his books in portugal or wherever it is by a lovely yeah. lake I mean, is is that the case for you? Do you find yourself in the Cotswolds overlooking some glorious uh, scenery? I wish. Uh, I, I, You know what? It's funny you should say that. As I spend a lot of my time thinking, oh, you know what? I'm a writer. Um, I could probably even claim this <laughs> against tax to go that I needed to go to yeah. Portugal <laughs> and write a book. Yeah, I've never done it. Um, I've never done that. Um I write mainly just in my house in London. I've now got an office, actually. I bought an office. When everyone else was not going to the office, I bought a small <laughs> flat to use as an office during the pandemic. 
actually, it was because during the pandemic, I, I found it quite difficult to write because my whole house was full of children and yeah. stuff, and and, the, and I was having to home school them and all sorts of bollocks like that and I thought I need somewhere else where to go and write uh, and so I, I do I write there and I write here uh, but not in beautiful Portugal uh, or wherever I might still do that at some yeah, point, point. Might, yeah. the dream. Some point. Yeah. I, I think it's because when I'm I, I do get up every day and when I'm not filming or whatever and and write even when I am filming I tend to write um, and the idea of sort of like schlepping to somewhere like Lisbon uh, which would be lovely once I get there but the sort of like getting there I just think well that's going to get in the way of the writing isn't it and actually one thing I would say to that as well is one of the things about writing that is difficult is you tend to just find lots of distractions like you know the internet is is a massive distraction Mm. uh, but everything else you just think well I've got to make tea first I've got I've got to read the news first I've got to make 100 phone calls I've got to look out the window whatever it might be and I do sometimes think that that idea of I need to find the perfect place to write with the view of the lake or whatever it's just another way of putting off the hard work of writing yeah yeah David talking about the the distractions and things I don't know whether whether you see this but certainly throughout dad's net there seems to be um, it might not be gradual, but it could, it's certainly gradual, but it might be quicker. This movement where kids and parents are getting distracted from reading and writing, which yeah. is, you know, so fundamental to, to you know, life. And, and, and they are both both skills unlock so much potential for our children. How do you, how do you kind of see that playing out in society from a I guess from a writer and, and you know, writing books point of view do you think that is there's something parents could and should be doing to inspire reading and writing more in our children um i, I don't know the answer to that i, I, I mean I, 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 yeah. well, well i don't know the answer because partly because i don't know i think we're still at an early stage of, of the sort of data of understanding what this massive technological revolution that we're undergoing <clears throat> i think you know as big as the invention of the printing press basically will do to uh, us and I guess the, the starting point of that is what will it do to the next generations um, and the fact that you know people are growing up now and their main form probably of reading and writing is not from books it's from the screen mm-hmm. um, social media and whatever else it might be as well as the fact that their main form of, of you know any form of stimuli is that so TikTok and all the rest of it the, the thing that suffers most, I would say, um, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, is is sort of stamina. Because um, if everything you consume is like seven minutes long, 15 seconds long or whatever, long-form storytelling and long-form you know, consumption of any form of thing, like whether it be a story or even just information, documentary, whatever it is, is difficult. Um, I heard someone say the other day that they tried to show a film to a group of influencers, of young influencers, so people between 18 and 25. And this might have been an exaggeration, but they said it was like watching, you know, being in a room with a bunch of heroin addicts because essentially <laughs> they were all sort of twitching <laughs> and like desperate to look at their phones and couldn't hold their eyes on the screen. And that is the worry. Mm. The, the flip side of that is that, you know, there is a lot of amazing stuff out there. Not all of it is terrible. Mm. And you, you know... Like, to be honest, my son in particular doesn't read that much. He reads more now. He started finally at the age of 18 to sort of read a bit. But, you know, he, 
he's read a couple of my books and I think Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and that was it beforehand. <laughs> um, and, and he's incredibly articulate. Yeah. He's incredibly articulate and informed and really funny. And, uh, you know, where's that coming from? I'm afraid it's coming from the internet, you know. So it's hard to know it, it, how much of a doubt, how much of a negative and how much of a positive it is. And I think that we're yet to, yet to understand that. Um, no. But what I would say, in terms of actually answering your question, is that I do think that if children's books and children's stories, children's films or whatever, and so and they are, they really are, you know, are as funny, as digestible, as unpatronising to kids as they can be, mm. then it will always be an entry point into another yeah. form for children. Yeah. Um, talking about TV and, and how we consume, you know, television now, you're obviously, you know, you're a big TV star. You've you've been on our screens for, for you know, for quite a while. How do you feel yeah. that, that TV is going nowadays, especially when, you know, we've got these, we've got box sets, we've got different lengths of box sets. You know, I was watching The White Lotus yesterday. I'm looking forward to Ted Lasso because I know that that's like a 20, 30 minute episode as opposed to an hour. What do you think the future is yeah. for TV? I suppose I'm kind of pointing this at the BBC as well. Um, well, I've no idea. I mean, I think that, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's both good and bad. So there's an incredible amount of TV now. Uh, I mean, unbelievable for a bloke who grew up with three to four channels. <laughs> um, and it, that's a sort of at one level fantastic because it's such a cornucopia and there's stuff for everyone. At another level, it's very fragmented, isn't it? There's like too much and um, a lot of it is rubbish. And also uh, even the stuff that isn't rubbish, it's like quite hard to find, um, you know, and I think you end up with this weird, you know, the big problem, I guess, with the, what, what streaming and the internet has done to us is that it's created a, a, a very fragmented society where, everyone can just go towards the thing that they've already decided that they like, you know, the sort of filtration systems that we have, mm -hmm. the echo chambers essentially. So that everyone has decided, well, I like that sort of thing. And then they don't go outside of that is the problem. Whereas I guess in the old days when people just watched telly, then they were going to be introduced to things, comedy, whatever, you know, I'm not just talking about different politics or whatever. I mean, just stuff they might not have thought about. Mm. Um, and they'll they'll watch that because it's something that they would that they're just sort of watching the telly indiscriminately, right? And now I think people much more like have decided what they like. You know, years ago I felt this started with on the internet they have this thing like on uh Spotify of like if you like this, you'll you'll probably like this, right? And there'll be sort of four other pop artists that they think you like because you like Joni Mitchell, whoever. And actually that's quite limiting because at the end of the day you think like, well, you know, what about someone who might want to listen to music that's completely different mm. from Joni Mitchell? So I don't know. I mean, for the BBC, I, I, I'm i not sure it will be able to survive it, it the way that it is at the moment because I think that, you know, just the, I, I don't know enough about this, but I would have thought that the way that economics are, the way that economic history goes, is that if economic history has changed so much from the model it used to be, you know, it's very rare that something can just survive in the old form that it was in. Yeah, has to so adapt. Yeah.
I, David, you know, I don't want to keep up too much of your time, but I just have a couple of, of relatively short questions. One is kind of career based. And then I want to kind of finish with, um, another, you know, parenting dad base. So career wise, you've done a lot of things as JK listed at the start. You've kind of done, you've had a fantastic career that's now kind of really thriving in, um, as an author. But what's been your like top, top, moment like which part of of over the last however many years do you kind of look back and go that was the moment that I'm kind of most proud of I guess um I don't I don't know that that I've got a specific moment that I'm proud of because that you know when actually kids tend to ask me when I go into schools and read the books they often ask me what's my favorite of my own books and I often feel like I don't have a favorite because they mean different things to me. Yeah. Um, like the parent agency means a lot to me because it was my first one. But I think my funniest one is a book called Annie Malcolm uh, about a kid who turns into lots of different animals. And, you know, uh, there's one I'm very proud of called The Taylor Turbo Chaser, which is about a disabled girl um, who le- who drives her wheelchair across, in- across the country. Uh, there's lots of different reasons for it. And, you know, I'm very... <coughs> pleased with the reaction to Jews don't count for example and think that shifted the dial on that conversation and it's very important and all the rest of it and you know Jewish people come up to me all the time to tell me how much that means to them but that's a very different feeling Mm. to what happened at Wembley in Euro 96 uh, and the ongoing 30 years since then (laughs) when well to, to use the example you know what just to tell the story I've told a million times, but it sort of illustrates the point is on that particular day when we played Scotland, which is the second game that we played in that tournament, uh, and the song had already come out, but it seemed to be that was it. It actually gone to number one, which was amazing, but that seemed to be it. It was all over. Me and Frank Skinner thought England weren't playing very well, um, and then suddenly, you know, Gary McAllister took a penalty. Uh, David Seaman saved it. He sent the ball downfield, and Paul Gascoigne scored an incredible goal. And then England won that game and then we went off and the DJ put on three lions and the whole crowd started singing it. The whole crowd, you know, apart from the Scottish fans. Let's call it 80,000 people started singing. And we, me and Frank had no idea that, 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 that already the country, England, had taken that song to heart so much that, and this is before screens, uh, they knew all the words, mm-hmm. right? And people say that you're the biggest day in your life, uh, the, the the happiest day in your life is supposed to be when your kids are born. But sod that, that was the most amazing day of my life. Right? <laughs> it was an amazing moment in my life. It was incredible, right? And uh, and so it would be hard not to, you know, put three lions and, and not so much the sort of different versions of it and all that, but the feeling of it when it's sung by the crowd and the continuing of it being sung by the crowd uh, at football matches as, as the thing that feels most extraordinary mm. to me that I've done. Yeah. That'll probably be. I mean, I work on the radio and whenever there's, there's a big tournament happening and we play three lines, I still have an absolute buzz about it. You know, you, and like you say, we go back to writing, you want to sort of like say something which, which complements the song and the feeling of what right. the audience are going to feel at that point when they hear that song. And that is such, it's such yeah. a powerful thing and it will just go on and on and on. Yeah. Well, that, that's right. By the way, I've noticed that, that your names are at the bottom of the screen. So when I asked you your names, that was quite stupid. <laughs> Actually not noticing writing with pictures. Um, yeah, I mean, that's right. I think that, you know, if I was asked to 
say why why Three Lions has survived has had the longevity it's had. It's partly because the music is brilliant by Ian Brody, but the other reason is that when we wrote that song, really football songs were not about the real experience of watching football. They were just about, you know, we're going to win, or in the case of uh, New Order, it was just a kind of general song about love. But this was a song about the specifics of being a football fan, i.e. that you feel despair most of the time. Most of the and time. you think you're going to lose, but through a sort of magical thinking, you, you think you might somehow win this time anyway. And that's a genuine experience mm. uh, that we were chiming with by writing those lyrics with football fans and that's right that's right that's a, that's a combination of words and music that that hits home and, and it's not, not you know that doesn't happen very often to land that you know deeply into the heart of what mm. you're talking about it's quite unusual yeah. but, but also, that's, that's the object i think only you and frank could have done that though and especially based on you know fantasy football i think it, it was only you and frank that could come up with stuff like that because you were you you were sort of us you were real we watched you every you know and i think it was only you yeah. guys that could have done that well that's very sweet of you i mean that's actually what ian brody thought thank heavens because ian brody of the lightning seas was asked to do the england song for Euro 96 and he decided it was his decision he said no i think frank and david should write the lyrics uh because I think they're the nation's football fans. Yep. But then he, I think what he wasn't expecting was us to say, all right, we'll sing it as well, uh, particularly <laughs> in my case. Uh, I mean, actually, let me tell you, just to finish uh, with a bit of writing, <laughs> is is not so positive, but I always think it's funny anyway. Uh, I think I got the worst review anyone's ever got. Uh, and I've got a lot of, you know, quite interesting neg- negative <laughs> reviews in my time. Uh, when Q Magazine did an early review of Three Lions, and it said, um, in the future, people will think of this song as better than it was. It said, in the future, folk memory will erase the memory of David Baddiel's singing <laughs> just as effectively as it has erased the memory of corpse robbers during the Blitz. <laughs> now, I didn't even know there were corpse robbers during the Blitz, but that, I mean, to be insulted on that scale, wow. it makes me proud at some level. Um, and, you know, Props to that guy for use of words. Yeah, maybe maybe that is your uh, proudest moment, getting that yeah. kind of, of review. Uh, Please tell me someone has got you that frame for Christmas or something like that, because that's a perfect present. No, no one has, but, but, but actually, if you want to go full circle, um, when we did, me and, as you may know, we did a Christmas version this year because the World Cup was at Christmas. Uh, and it might have been Christmas number one and England won the World Cup, but they didn't. Um, and when we were recording that, Frank had done his vocal and then I came to do my vocal. And then after my vocal, Frank said, well, now it sounds like three lions. He said, he says, because I can't sing, but I therefore represent, you know, most people, (laughs) most most football fans, most football fans, most people in the stadium, right. Who are just basically bellowing out a football song. Mm. He said, that's the sound of Earth three lions. And uh, and that's nice of him to say. (laughs) Amazing. It's amazing. Oh. Well, David, thank you for um, giving up some time to come and, and chat with us. It's been it's been brilliant. Um, we will make sure that there's a link to the book in the description of the podcast. Um, can you also, put a link to the other book as well to the God Desire. We can add that in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually I'm, I'm um, currently looking it on your. I'm currently looking at on Twitter here. The, uh, the it's on a very nice yeah. sort of background that you've laid it on Twitter. 
Did you do that on... <laughs> did it take you a while to get that influencer oh, well. shot? Uh, no, although it is quite a nice shot. No, no, my wife is very good with uh, nice little rugs and covers for sofas, so that's a sheep's rug on a sofa. And I did know I've made it... Oh, that's me art designing it, isn't it? That's me making it. It's lovely. It's lovely. Uh, but I literally just now... Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. People people can search as well, Google, but we will make sure the links are below. Um, David, thank you. Have a great rest of your day and um, let's keep in touch. Uh, maybe we'll... All right. Thanks very much, guys. Best to dance net. Thank you. Cheers. A Dad's Net original podcast.